So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So, good morning, Pat. Good morning, Ray. So here in Philippians chapter 2, what, what we're kind of looking at is Paul, you know, we, we looked at the first few verses uh, on Friday, and uh, we talked about how this little section is something that was read often, uh, verse 6 and beyond, or 5 and beyond, was read often on Palm Sunday. So Paul is speaking to Christ's attitude, to Christ's mind, and uh, Paul clarifies the truth of Christ and how he uh, acts and how he lives. Good morning, Mom and Dad. And he clarifies this through the form of a poem. He, he clarifies it through the poem or, or a form of like a poem or a poetic verse and um, that describes with an, a descent and an ascent of who Christ is, and that's verses 5 and beyond, down to 11. Um, it's kind of like an old creed, if you will. And In fact, some theologians think Paul was possibly quoting something that was around. Maybe it was a creed that was written by the apostles and shared throughout the churches, um, or else it was something he wrote specifically uh, and, and was then spread around. But it was this is a very... Um, poetic, very creed-like statement, very specific. Uh, the wording is very specific, um, but you know we're not for sure because there's not an original text. There's nothing that has been found that proves that maybe some other apostle wrote this and to prove or disprove that Paul wrote it. But regardless, this is a creed-like statement. That's why it was read every Palm Sunday. So talks to Christ's pre-existence. It, it talks to his existence and it talks, talks to his post-existence in the world. You know, Jesus pre-existed his birth uh, in Mary, right? He, he was, as John chapter 1 begins, right, that he in the beginning was the Word, God, was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? That Jesus was very God. This is something that the early church would struggle with. Um, for oh, It wasn't clarified until the uh, ecumenical councils um, 
one, two, and three, which really went all the way into like five hundreds. They still struggled with, can he be fully God? And if he's fully God, then, well, you can't put on human form. And so that was the holographic Jesus, that the body really wasn't real. That's why the feel my hands in the side, right, to Thomas is so key, because he was truly human in form. And But if he was all human and not divine at all, well, then that's Gnostic. That, that, that was a whole nother heresy. And that's where they came up and said, no, he's 100% he's God and 100% man. And only in God and Jesus Christ is 100 and 100 equal 100 and not 200, right? It's, he, he was divine and yet human. And they would struggle with that for years and even struggle with this idea of pre-existence. There were those who said with using words like begotten um, at times, good morning, Robert. So John 3.16, the King James uses the word begotten, which is the exact same word that is used throughout um, the Old Testament when so-and-so begot so-and-so. And so there were those who preached and used and said that Jesus did not, he wasn't even in existence until he was born of Mary. And that is another heresy. It's good morning, Katie. You know, so this passage is saying, no, he pre-existed. He was just like John 1.1. 1, 1. He pre-existed the human form and coming to birth through Mary. He was very much God. John 1, 1 through 2 talks about that. Hebrews 1, uh, 1 to 11, or 1 to 4. Colossians 1, 15. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. They all talk about his pre-existence before his birth. Paul says that Jesus was in very form God. Very form God, but yet did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Remember Adam and Lucifer, they both, their faults were they sought equality with God. You know, the early temptation, right, was, well, you'll, you'll know like God, you'll be like God. Lucifer wanted to ascend to the throne. Pride. Pride, desire to be like God, and yet Jesus, who was God, did not count equality. With God is something to be grasped in Paul's words. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. Christ came under all the conditions of the human form. He became servant. He became obedient even to death. Death on the cross. He became obedient to all the human and natural laws so that he could defeat them in his death and his resurrection. It would bring death and it would it would break the power of sin and the curse of death for all. Bring redemption and resurrection for all. You know, there's another kind of heresy that came about in this, and it was uh, um, it's come about later on, and it's. It's something called reductionism, and maybe heresy is a strong word, but reductionism, I mean, what happens when you reduce something? When you reduce a, um, oh, say like the ingredients of something you're making. When you reduce it, you make it less than what it is. And reductionism takes the preaching and the teaching uh, that the saving work, it's solely just private thing. It's It's solely subject to my experience. It's all about 
me and my personal relationship with Christ and forgets the fellowship, forgets the corporate part of our testimony that needs to be shared. We had some testimony sharing time yesterday in church speaking about God's goodness, that he's a good father and he has shown up for all of us and we heard many testimonies. That's the corporate. But when we give into reductionism, we begin to think that the salvation is all about saving me. Who cares about everybody else? It's all about me being one of the elect and therefore chosen. And everybody else, well, they're just going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, well. That's reductionism. Instead of seeking and saving and running after the lost. Verse 9 then moves from Christ into the idea and talking of through God and, and God who exalts Christ because of that decision to, re, to, to lower himself. God exalts him, making him Lord of all. Lordship of Christ is not confined just in the human realm. You know, he, he uses the word that... Um, the terms here that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it's kind of a weird statement, but what Paul is saying is he is Lord, not just in heaven, not just on earth, but also in the subterranean regions, which in their mindset is where all evil lived, right? And so even in the heavens is where a lot of the spiritual battle and spiritual realm. So he was Lord in all dimensions, that were known in that time, right? So if you believe in the twilight zone and another dimension, then he's Lord of that dimension too. There's no dimension where God is not sovereign, where Jesus is not Lord. The central event in the entire drama of salvation is an act of Jesus's humble submission, not counting himself as equal with God, and then Christ being exalted because of his death and resurrection. You know, so there's some things in that that I think that Paul's speaking to that then we can see as believers. And the first is, and we've, we've used this term numerous times, it's humility. Verses 6 through 8 talks about humility. A, a Christian should be willing to relinquish their status if the occasion warrants. You know... I know those that uh, they walk into a room and they have to be the loudest. They have to be the most vocal. They have to be the center of attention and they have to be the leader. If there are two leaders, they butt heads. Christians should be willing to relinquish their status if the occasion warrants. Jesus didn't stand on his own rights. He did more than even what was demanded of him. Well, sometimes we do just enough to get by, don't we? Just enough to get the recognition. And yet in humility, we do a whole lot more because only that which is done for Christ will last. And all that matters is not some trophy, not some pat on the back, but the knowledge and the future hope, right, of hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. Second thing that we see is this idea of service, you know, that Jesus took the form of a servant, not a king. 
He was born in a poor family, not in a mansion. The first people to come and worship him were the vagabonds, the gypsies, the shepherds who were not allowed in proper society. They were the carnies of the day, right? They were those that when they came to town, people were like, well, watch out, lock your doors. And Jesus came to them first. Jesus, who later on in life, by taking the towel and the basin and washing the feet of the disciples, did something drastic, taking the role of the lowest of the lowest servant in the house. It was drastic to compel a revision of the disciples' attitude of greatness. Remember how many times they came to Jesus saying, Lord, who's the greatest? Lord, allow me to sit on your right hand and my brother to sit on your left. May we take positions of authority and greatness in your kingdom. They, they were seeking greatness. If God wants us to be exalted, he'll exalt us. If God wants us to be lowered, he will lower us an attitude that we should take we don't seek out election we don't seek out notoriety but we seek out notoriety for Jesus Christ and him only you know the third thing is the human nature he took on human nature Jesus was fully God and fully man 100 and 100 equals 100 and his humanity was a hundred percent real he was real we see he was hungry we see that he cried that he had compassion we we see all of these things often though it was taught that humanity couldn't exist with god because well then that would lessen god but i love this rp martin was a theologian and he said that at the incarnation christ became more than God. Now, I, I, I think that's a touchy subject, and that's something we have to be careful saying that, because I don't think you can be more than God, but that when Jesus became human, he didn't lessen divinity, but he actually began to empower divinity, right? He, he made the connection between God and man that we couldn't even stand in God's presence as broken individuals. And now God becomes real. We, we can read the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and see different forms and different stories and individuals of God. One, Matthew is he's the Messiah, right? Mark, he's the king. And Luke, he's, wow, he's human, right? He's divine and yet human. And in John, we see the humanity, the compassion, the love, the, the all of those things that just are so real. So in his incarnation, Christ became more. He didn't lessen. He didn't dirty himself to hobnob it with the lowlifes. He came and walked this earth with us. And in Jesus' death, we see the most shameful death that could have been taken. No Roman citizen was allowed to suffer that. 
show that he was an outcast to proper society, right? That he tasted in full the penalty that man merits for their sins so that he could show the power over sin that he had. But then the other part is that he was exalted, that he was raised from the dead to prove the power over death that Jesus had. See, if he had just died and not risen again, yes, we could have gotten power over sin, but it's not the key part. In fact, we're going to talk later on when we get to verse 3, because there are times, like if you look at chapter chapter 3, I should say, not verse 3, but chapter 3, 10 and 11, Paul begins a kind of a little grouping of verses, and he begins in the resurrection, then talks about the death, and ends in the resurrection, because the resurrection is the most important thing. Now, we can't have the resurrection without the death, so Good Friday still needs to be celebrated, but Easter is the most important. We get caught up sometimes on the death, and we carry around crucifixes with us, because we all want to remember the death, but that gave us the power over sin. It did, but we don't have a power and a hope for eternity. The power over the death without the resurrection. So why in all of this, this poem, why, why did Paul quote this? Why did Paul say this to the Philippians? You know, we don't see anything in here that says that they were questioning the lordship of Jesus Christ. So why would he quote this? You know, Paul wasn't in this promising a last will be first mentality, right? Uh, so often we can and again, reduce our walk with Christ to, well, I'm going to force myself to serve because I want to be first. Uh, I can want to become less so that then I can become more. And, and we do it out of selfish motives. Remember, it's not what we do that's wrong. It's how we do it that's wrong. And so Paul was saying, it's not this last first mentality that you need to have. It's not serve now so that you'll be served later. He's teaching that Christ emptied himself, that he became a servant, and that he died without any promise of reward. That's what Paul is preaching, is that we should do the same. You know, here a church that is seeking, is at a point in time where to be a Christian could be a martyr. He's saying, don't do it for the reward. You do it for God's glory, not yours. The church needs to remember the passion of Christ that birthed our ability to take the gospel for his sake, not ours. To share the gospel of Christ with all that we meet. Redemption is not just from sin, but it's to a new way of life, to a way of life of holiness. For his sake, not ours. For his glory, not ours, in his strength, not ours, right? We're called to one task, or one Lord, put it that way. We're called to one Lord, one task, and one life. That's what we're called to as believers. One task, share the gospel of one Lord, Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen again. And one life to be used in service for our King. It's a different form of economy, right? It's a it's a weird way of living. The 
church is called to be weird. It's called to be different. It's called to be anti what our culture stands for. Um, there is a poem by a gentleman by the name of Gerald Hawthorne who says it this way, In the divine economy of things, by giving, people receive. By serving, people are served. By losing their lives, they find them. By dying, they live. By humbling themselves, they are exalted. The one follows the other as night follows day. But always in this order. Self-sacrifice first before the self is exalted by God. That's what we're called to as believers. You know, it's so easy. So easy to get my needs and my wants in front of the needs and wants of those around me. My family, my church, right? If we're honest. And yet we are called not to seek to create a legacy for ourselves, not to be the smartest person in the room, not to be the one to always have to be the one to make everybody think, because then we're trying to make them think like we do, right? It's We are called to point them to Christ, Him crucified and risen, to bring redemption and restoration to their lives, so that then they can go out and share with somebody else the glory and the hope of Jesus crucified and risen and coming again, right? That hope. That's the divine economy. It's a different economy, not living for self, but living for Christ. Fully God, fully man. So just a reminder, um, for this week, we I will be uh, leaving and won't be on Thursday and Friday, um, but I will be on here Monday through Wednesday. So I look forward to unpacking Philippians more with you this week. So God, we just thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for how you continue to show us more and more about who you are. Lord, help us to unpack your word. Help us to even translate some of my ramblings. Allow your Holy Spirit just to enlighten our hearts, to transform us inwardly, to make us different outwardly and corporately. God, may we not fall to that reductionism. May we not reduce your the glory of your salvation, of your atonement to something that was done only for me. How selfish. But Lord, may we remember that you died for all. You died for the lowest. You died for the greatest. You died for the most undeserved and those who feel they're most deserving. God, you died for all. Lord, help us grow in our humility and service. Make us more like your son, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Have a wonderful rest of the day.